Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I was 26 years old when I met Judy and Ray. Judy was one of my coworkers at the new church where I was working, and she and her husband Ray seemed to have everything just figured out in life. They seemed to have done just about everything right. Pastoring was a second career for Judy. She and her husband Ray had been very successful running a string of businesses, though you would never have guessed that from meeting them. They were generous incredibly generous to the church and to dozens of other people, but never in a way that drew attention to themselves, and their giving was always very matter-of-fact. They were generous because they thought they were supposed to be generous, not because they wanted anything in return. They dressed simply, and they talked simply, and there was not the slightest hint of ostentation about them. When you make a lot of money, and you don't spend a lot of money, You end up with a lot more options than other folks in life. And so it was that Judy had chosen later in life to go to seminary and to dedicate the rest of her life to serving the church. And when I came to that church as the new associate pastor at the same time that the church was receiving a new senior pastor named Tom, Judy and Ray invited us over to their home so that we could get to know some other members of the church. We had several home meetings there at their house. And afterwards, after one of those meetings, when people were just milling about, I found myself in the kitchen putting away some dishes, sitting there talking with Judy and thanking her for her hospitality. And at some point, Judy crooked her head and she looked at me a little funny and just said, so how old are you again? I said, I'm 26. And she said, one year older than my son then. Then she began to tell me, about what was going on in her son's life. And she asked, would you pray for him? She gave me the quick outline that she would share in much greater detail later about her son's recent divorce and how he had contributed to it and the cycle of behaviors that he couldn't seem to get out of and how she and Ray had tried every way that they could to support him and to challenge him. And I had no kids at the time, but there was something that she said that has haunted me and stuck with me ever since that moment. She said, everybody talks about how hard it is to parent a child. Nobody has any tips for parenting an adult. It was a beautiful, and it was a terrible thing to see that, to see her face at that moment, and to hear her voice and to feel her love for her son coming through in that moment, to feel her heart's pain for just a second as I saw what it meant for her that she would never stop loving her son. Passion is a strange word. Around this time of year, we use passion to describe what happened to Jesus, but that's the only time that we use passion in that way. Most of the time, when people say they want more passion in their life, what they mean is not more torture and suffering. When people say they want a passionate preacher, they don't usually mean that they want one who is tortured in everything that they do. When we talk about feeling passion, in our own lives, we talk about feeling a rush of anticipation and adrenaline. 
But even when we talk about passion in this positive way, we understand that passion is rarely separated from pain. It was Judy's passion for her son that moved me that evening, so many years ago. It was her love for her son that she couldn't teach herself to get out of, that she could never have given up. She wanted so much for her son, she couldn't teach herself to stop wanting it. It's the passion that we hope for in our lives, in our relationships, in our church. Passion is longing for something, and it's the refusal to stop longing. And when you desperately want something, and when you can't stop wanting it, and then you begin to feel that it's not going to happen, passion can become the source of deep pain. The threat is always there, that we might long for something even after we have lost all hope of actually seeing it. And in that moment, passion feels less like an adrenaline rush and more like an eternal heartache. We can carry that kind of passion around so very long that we no longer even know what we are longing for. We just want it to get better. That's how it must have been in Mary's heart as she ran from the tomb, not even knowing what had happened and not knowing what to do about it, just knowing that she had to share it with someone. She comes to the other disciples and she says, they have taken him from the tomb and we don't know where he is. We don't know where he is. We don't know much about Mary Magdalene. We know that she's not Mary from uh, Jesus' birth, the mother of Jesus, uh, as Kat pointed out for us earlier. You probably knew that already, but it's something that comes up a lot whenever I'm teaching this, especially to little kids. We know from the passage that Kathy read earlier in Luke today that Jesus had set Mary Magdalene free from what had possessed her and that she was one of several women who supported Jesus out of their means, which probably means she was at least somewhat well off. And we know this. We know that she followed Jesus wherever he was. Wherever Jesus was, that's where Mary would be. She's mentioned as a follower of Jesus early in his ministry when he's preaching in the northern region of Galilee. And she was there in Jerusalem at the end. All four gospels say that after all the 12 disciples had run away, Mary was there at the crucifixion. The 12 ran away, but Mary followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And we know this, all four gospels say it, that she did not stop following Jesus at the cross. Mary went wherever Jesus went. As soon as the Sabbath was over, she went to his tomb, early on a Sunday morning to honor his body. And her passion was to follow Jesus, to be where Jesus was, to go where Jesus went. And we can imagine the grief and the suffering that are written on her face as she shouts, we don't know where he is. Last week, we saw how Peter had a lot of passion for the Lord, but his passion flamed out over and over because he did everything in his own power. At the moment Mary went to the tomb, Peter and his buddies were hiding in the shadows. But Mary's passion never stopped. It never stopped burning because it was fueled by years of following Jesus and of doing what 
he had already been asking all his other disciples to do. Mary was the one who actually did what Jesus had to keep telling the male disciples to do. The Gospel of Mark, like all the Gospels, tells us that Mary was at the foot of the cross, but, Mary also, but Mark also adds that Mary was one of, quote, those women who had followed Jesus and cared for his needs. Last week we saw that Peter's passion consisted entirely of grand gestures. He walked on water. He drew his sword against 600 soldiers. But Mary's passion had learned to wait upon the Lord with humble gestures that were the ones he actually needed. One of my great heroes in life is a guy named Shane Claiborne who lives in a, a Christian community in Philadelphia where he and those he uh, lives alongside have been transforming the inner city of Philadelphia for some time, more than a decade now. And Shane Claiborne is a charismatic guy. He's weak, wickedly smart, but he also has this deep Tennessee mountain accent that can't help but win you over. And if you ever hear him talk about the life and the work that he shares with the family of the Simple Way community, you will want to go join them as they pray and they play and they share their life as a testimony to the goodness of God. They're teaching some of the poorest and the richest people in our country that another world is possible. Claiborne is quick to say that the life they share is not mostly about amazing stories. When people hear what we're doing, he says, everyone wants to come join the revolution, but no one wants to come wash the dishes. One of Claiborne's friends put it even more passionately, a still more image vision that comes from Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, who says, love is a prisoner who stays up all night with a sharpened toothbrush working away at a crack in the wall. Mary learned about real passion by watching her Savior. Jesus is the revelation of God's passion for us. Jesus said that God's extravagant love is like a father who patiently walks a ridge going back and forth, waiting for the day that his son will come home. Jesus passionately wept over Jerusalem and said that God is like a mother hen who longs to gather her chicks underneath her wing. Jesus said God is like a shepherd who counts the sheep in his pen and then recounts them. And when there are only 99 of them there, the shepherd goes out and combs the hills for the one that is missing, never resting until that one is found. Jesus revealed God to us by doing what none of the other characters in our story was willing to do. Jesus let his passion become his power. Think back on it. Pilate had no passion and tried to wash his hands of his power. Pilate's wife was troubled when she discovered her own power and discovered that she cared. Joseph and Nicodemus suppressed their passion so that they could keep their power. And Peter was constantly overwhelmed by his passion. They had more power over him than he had over them. But now we find Mary, who has learned to follow Jesus' own passion wherever it goes, even to the cross and even to the tomb. And she will be the first one to know the power of resurrection. When Mary came to the tomb, 
She found the crack in the wall had become a jailbreak. The stone was rolled away. And I hope you don't mind that we cheated a little bit today, telling a story from Easter Sunday. We tried to keep the spirit of Lent going by cutting it off before the moment when Mary heard Jesus saying her own name. We leave her today there in the garden, still suffering for her passion as she is desperate to find her Lord but doesn't know where he is. And I have to imagine, that's a few of us today. We are longing for the uncertain moment to be over. We are longing to worship together and hear God's name in each other's voices. We are longing to gather at the table. And maybe sometimes it feels like it is all just too much. Maybe this situation isn't totally new to you. Maybe you have been overwhelmed with longing for God for a very long time, and maybe you have suffered for a very long time, and maybe you are wondering where they've taken him. You wish you could stop loving and caring and wanting so much from God. Maybe you're thinking this would all be a little bit easier if you just cared a little bit less. Do not be afraid. God's longing for you is even stronger than your longing for God. God knows what it is like to have such passion that it is almost unbearable. And even in that desperate longing, that you are experiencing right now, that itself is an encounter with God, with the one you are longing for. So do not be afraid to care, to wait, and to set your love to work with its sharpened toothbrush because you do not care or wait alone. You never know God more deeply than when you know God's own passion for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, stoke our passion. Let the fire continue to burn, and let us not burn out in the long wait for what we have been waiting for. We thank you for such passionate hearts that we are even willing to risk the pain that comes from loving and to continue to look like a father on a ridge or a mother hen spreading her wings for the day when you will make all things well. Give us the power to match our passion, the power to continue in the daily work of waiting. And let us know that you wait with us let us know that even in the waiting, we are coming to know your heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.